Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. So it's another podcast with Tim and Jacko. I've just told Jacko that I'm doing the intro to this one. Otherwise, you might get 10 minutes in and realise that I'm not here. Because <laughs> this is a trip down memory lane with Jacko's old S&C coach, Joe Brunt. And I thought at the first bit, let them, I was going to get this reminiscing out of the way. But just so you know, I am here and I was part of the conversation. And ask some very intelligent questions later on in the conversation. Yes, the first little part of this is a little bit of... Uh, uh, well, setting the scene, but also just sort of catching up. But um, no, I was um, super excited to get Joe Brun on on the podcast. He is someone that I guess inspired me on my journey to even want to be an SNC coach. Um, but also for 10 years was my SNC coach and made a huge impact. I wouldn't have been the rugby player I was if I hadn't had him as my SNC coach. So it was a pleasure for me to have him on and I wanted to let him share a little bit of his knowledge and his understanding with all you guys out there and hope that you enjoy it. Yeah, Joe has been around Nottingham for, I think he said, nine years at Nottingham Rugby. And as an SNC coach coming up at the time, um, always had a great reputation and people held him in very high regard as a little bit of a mystical character in some <laughs> yeah, conversations. Um, so we You sit- weren't sure if he was a real person, were you? you, thought it was well, you just- I've never actually met him before, which I should have done back in the day, but I was probably a bit intimidated to go and chat to him. Because <laughs> I, 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 as, you, as you, you'll, uh, you'll see from the podcast, his part of his reputation was he's not afraid to speak his mind, which is probably one of the things that made him such an effective coach so sit back and enjoy this nice little catch-up with team joe and jacko with a few random questions from me roll the jingle so this is a podcast i've been very excited for i'm probably as excited but also uh, nervous and petrified of what uh, my good friend and old S&C coach Joe Brun may or may not say about me. So Joe, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Hey, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's our, our absolute pleasure. It's, it's also nice, we just said off air, that uh, for me to have like Tim, who was like my mentor, is it, and, and I guess continues to still be my mentor as, a, as an S&C coach, with my uh, I guess Joe trained me for um, over 10 years and uh, while well, I'll let you introduce Joe introduce yourself and uh, how do we how do we know each other why are we excited um, right um, yeah my name is Joe I started as a fitness coach professionally uh, in Plymouth Albion which was a second tier uh, rugby team yeah and i've done yeah. yeah and then after i moved to nottingham that's where i've met you as a player there was a yeah i signed for that club and i remember the first training session i realized hang on who are all those nutters it goes 100 <laughs> miles per hour there, there seems to be loads loads of athleticism in that team there was loads of fat as well but uh <laughs> we had uh we just had to uh to sharp to sharpen the blade, I guess, and um, that's how we uh, we started to work together. And we, uh, yeah, I did a, I think I did nine season at Nottingham. Yeah. So, uh, do you know what, what year did you? Was it two thousand and three? I think I started in uh, two thousand five. Two thousand five. So the, for people, so um, we Nottingham Rugby Club where I played had. We just got promoted and you joined the year afterwards and we yeah. were rugby itself only turned professional in 95. So it was still new to the whole concept of what does professional rugby look like? And we, before uh, Joe joined our sort of training outside of the rugby pitch in terms of our gym work and whatnot was very, uh, we didn't really know what we were necessarily doing. And um, <laughs> we were going through a phase from amateur into semi-professional. And then when you when, when Joe joined Nottingham Rugby, we were transitioning from semi-professional into professional. And it's fair, well, I can I can say, and all the, everybody that had played whilst Joe was there would, would agree and back up that uh, Joe was a huge um, influence on taking us into a more professional era um, as a club and, you know, and being as successful as we were. Um, 
on 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 the pitch. And so, I guess uh, I guess uh, we are uh, we did create. We were all very very keen, and we did create a very good environment uh, where everyone was responsible and performance. We were looking at increasing performance wherever uh, by increasing whatever factor we could be in control of, and we all went in the same direction, and it clicked, and suddenly we start winning games that people outside thought we shouldn't have won. Yeah. And we, it's true. And over the years, we actually become a dominant force. And that was, that's how you get uh, recognition, I reckon. It's when other people go, or other team goes, oh, gosh, we play Nottingham this weekend. No. Especially the yeah. forwards, they go, oh, no, this guy's never stopped. And that's where it came from. It came from the training. We were relentless into the quality and the detail we wanted to get all the time, whether it was with me or the skills coach or the head coach in terms of training. Yeah, but it was, you you remember because you went through, it was, it was very um, professional, very demanding. Everyone um, wanted high standard from each other, especially from me. You guys, you wanted... Um, professional training in every aspect and if there was one of these factors who you you feel will uh, will diminish it, then suddenly it has to be corrected and standard had to remain high uh, consistency that's what i've learned over the years yeah. yeah no for sure and i think we we were talk we, we, we were talking just off air before we came on around how um during that sort of transition and even probably still now it's uh, the the team of people of, of coaches around the playing squad, coaches, S and C coaches, physios, doctors is still um, is, will still be small to this day. But on the at that point, you were effectively like so before you came in on the. the, the it, I was laughing was about this with someone to, the other day, but there was someone. It was easy we, to have an influence. It was very yes. easy if you were if you knew what you were doing. Because loads of uh, uh, pro rugby at that time, as in pro rugby in, in brackets, semi-professional, it was really easy to have an influence because if you knew what you were doing straight away, it would change the whole structure. And yeah. that's what well, happened in Nottingham. There was raw material, absolutely <laughs> raw material. Before you started, for an away game, we'd get on the bus and you'd get handed your lunch for the, for the pre-match meal, which was... Um, a bacon, chicken, and mayo, um, and cranberry sandwich, a, a, a Mars bar or a Snickers, and like a can of Coke. Like that's that was the, you know, having to so having to that was just a bit of an idea, an eye opener of like what it was. And we didn't really at the time know that, that was that was bad. I was like a 18, 19 year old lad just breaking into the first team, and my diet would have been horrific back then. Um, we got some questions. Or some we had. A, I asked people to to send in some questions, and there's a couple of people asking what it was, what it was like, what I was like to train. And before before we get into that, I just want to give people just a a little context of what it was like to train, be trained by you. And then I've got a question for you as to why. So when <laughs> when Joe came in, uh, one we were all scared of you you had a relentless you were relentless at training if if someone didn't touch the line if someone uh was walking when they were told to run if someone just didn't do anything right you would hammer us it was but there was a there was a respect that there and you drove us to do you drove more out of us than any other. i remember a fit fitness sessions on a on a monday morning i'd feel sick on a sunday night worrying about the session i remember one time I rang up in the morning on Monday. I'd had a flat tire and I said, oh, Brun, I'm going to be late because I've got a flat tire. And all you did, you just went, just get there. And so I managed to get there somewhere <laughs> on time. At the fitness session, Stenny was next to me, would throw up every single session. Yeah, um, remember it, that. But it, 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 developed a, it developed a group um, that it's was, a- yeah, achieved more than we did. But my question for you, before, yeah. uh, just first is, like, what drove you so much? You used to, if we lost, I remember losing any game, like on the bus on the way back, you would be the mightiest person in the entire world because it meant so yeah. much to you. Yeah. What, 
what drove Joe? What drove you? What? Why were you so driven? Why did you want to get everything out of us? What was um, behind that? What's behind the passion? Different, different factor, really. Um, I, I, um, I, the year before I arrived in Nottingham, like I, uh, I signed at Plymouth Albion, and I discovered that it was fantastic to uh, to coach a team. Um, the uh, my relationship with Graham Doe, the boss at Plymouth at the time, did not go very well because I was I was basically smashing his ideas of rugby by introducing all mine, and basically he got rid of me um, mid-season, and I, I hated it. I I hated it that you get sacked when you're competent. It was yeah. yeah. So when I got my opportunity in Nottingham. I thought, okay, I' gonna develop the best environment to hammer all the other team. They're gonna pay for that. And there, I guess there was a bit of anger at the time, a bit of frustration. Yeah. But um, it was mainly the. Um, it was mainly to see if you could achieve standard which would mark not only me but the whole squad the whole players if we yeah. got to do it you got to do it 100 percent. and at the time it was crazy because yeah i was relentless and i had to drive the standard you couldn't accept weakness at training in any way shape or form you shouldn't have to show weakness and that's where that's how it started and you guys you jumped on it straight away. And after, it was athlete-driven. You know, like, um, yeah. one thing which uh, made me miserable here when I, when I start working in France at Racing Narbonne in French Pro D2 is that uh, the environment was very weak and very diluted. Uh, no one had really responsibility. Or, and you try to bring players in to make the environment better. They got it 100% wrong. It's the total opposite. It's what we developed in Nottingham. It's athletes are the reflect of the environment you create. Create a weak environment, you will have weak rugby player. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that stands out for me is not just like I don't we don't need to get into the detail of some of the you literally made, you know, came up with new ways of training in terms of different exercises and things that we do, but one of the big things and it's probably not covered massively for young up-and-coming snc coaches is as much as what you get the guys or your athletes to do in terms of exercise selection creating the right environment for them to thrive and challenging uh, views and, and, and attitudes and changing those was one of the greatest things that i think you did for for us as players and it's probably something that doesn't get it's um, it, so it's the single greatest things you can do for a squad create an environment where people, athletes, coach, whoever, become better. Yeah. It's, it's all what you have to do. And you can go, well, all right. You can, it's simple when you say it like this. It's all what you can do. But no, it's much more complicated. But the, the essence of, of uh, success and performance is exactly this. You create the best environment you can create. And if you see things that don't um, uh, suit you in terms of their impact or factors that you don't like because you think they have no influence, don't bother, don't do it. Only do things that are time efficient for the squad. And for you, for you it was easy at Nuts because I remember playing, like I said to you in the past, I remember playing Nottingham when I was at Plymouth and thinking, wow, this team is full of raw talent. And when I signed at Nottingham, I go, wow, I'm going to contribute to these guys. And actually, it, it took only two seasons, I think, to start uh, beating team, big team, yeah. that, well, that we were the underdog. Were we really the underdog? No, we were not. It's just on paper. But paper is what people assume that can, should be a, a normal result. They don't see all the work from all, uh, all the component behind yeah. It's just we, we, 
80 minutes of 80 minutes on Saturday afternoon. It just it's just a game. It doesn't show all the work who've been who's, who's been there, who's, who's yeah. been done. Yeah, yeah. It reminds it's a little bit reminds me of our the community of people we've got within the school of calisthenics that are, are training to, as we say, redefine their impossible. They're trying to learn something new. And one of the things that we've noticed that we didn't actually we didn't on purpose try to create it, but there's there's a supportive community of people that are helping themselves. It mirrors what 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 we're talking about. That they're supporting each other to be able to achieve things that they didn't think were necessarily possible. And I think that 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 environment that we had as a as a training group and team on the small scale there is like reflected through what we're doing a little bit now as well, which is it's just nice to it's it's interesting for me to reflect back on that and see those um, see those similarities. Um, go on then with in terms of training. So uh, what was Whoa. Before we get into some of the other stuff, what, so there was two questions around. Um, Reese the Jack wants to know what was Jacko's biggest blooper. So, like, what was the what was the worst <laughs> what was the worst thing I did? Either I don't know if anything springs to mind. Um, and uh, uh, not not a lot actually. You um, uh, you were one of the most driven athletes, so. And one of the best, so it's very easy for you. Like coaching you is is easy. I, I always said, uh, yeah, coaching Usain Bolt is probably one of the easiest job in the world because the, the guys are the guys already gold. You you have hardly anything to do. But uh, yeah, to come back to you, um, no, you um, I, you did nothing wrong. The best things you probably did is. Um, Actually, when we had an argument training and uh, in each other's face, and oh. it was brilliant because I, I went remember. home and I realized actually uh, I was wrong. What, I did realized what was that, the argument? Uh, it was about um, uh, fitness development. And I remember, I remember getting very frustrated and go home and think about it. And you, um, I remember thinking, that's a mistake I did. And... I've, I've put my frustration on my athlete because I don't have the answer. And I go, there's no bad athlete. There's only bad coaches. So it pushed me back. So the best things you did actually is always be demanding. Therefore, I couldn't step back and go, oh, we've done it. It's all right now. We can maintain this. And Well, I've got one thing for you that I still struggle, and Tim will know this, that I struggle with now, is like overtraining and the desire to train. Um, you used to um, do vertical jump testing to assess our readiness for training. That's and true. any time that that was down by a certain amount, we were told that we weren't allowed to train and go home. And that was something that I found exceptionally hard to do. Frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And the biggest problem I have now is I don't have a Joe Brun telling me not to train. If I want to still train, even though I feel crap, I can yeah. still choose to go and do it. And that's a real, I think, you know, I struggle with that. And I think there's a lot of people out there that do struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of athletes who needs to be uh, coached in the way that it's not only training. Training is just 20, 30%. It's a silence part. The other part, the 70, 80% you don't see when you're supposed to sleep, to eat, uh, to rest, not putting extra stress. And that's where, you need a coach to tell you um, because we measure this, you should behave like this because we evaluate this. You shouldn't do that or you should do this. And I remember argument with players who wanted to train and I go, no, you're tired. You go home. Yeah, but I want to train. And then I, had... <laughs> there's one word who hasn't been uh, mentioned yet. It's education. I try to educate all of you yeah. as much as I could on so many parts of the training. Do you remember the uh, going yeah, shopping yeah. In the, yeah. with the whole squad? And at training, I had to evaluate your fatigue. And I had to explain you that when it comes to fatigue, one plus one equals three. It, it delay stupidly. You do. Yeah. You waste your time and energy at training. It's not worth it, especially for elite athletes. They learn, they need to train always at a really high intensity. Uh, really high standard otherwise their nervous system doesn't learn do you so, have any tips joe for anyone that isn't hasn't you know they're 
they're they're an am- they do amateur sport or they train for the fun of it um but they really are into their training they really love it they maybe train three four five six times a week potentially some people that if they struggle with overtraining if, if you've got any any advice for someone that you know they haven't got a coach are there things they can look out for is the thing anything yeah. that might help them um it's it's uh it's actually fairly simple if because uh, i've been overtrained myself when i was uh, young and I had, uh, I had no coach and i go uh, looking back if you don't feel like training yeah don't do it don't don't fill time with training thinking that it's good for you it is not if you if you try it and you don't feel like doing it don't do it wait that you have bit for it you, you're energized you go yes i'm going to train i want to do this this and this you've got goals if it's just a time filler it's it's no good it will produce more fatigue you will get injured your body will tell you one way or another that you can't you're overloading i think that's a pretty difficult thing for most people in in fitness to manage because it, we see a lot of people getting addicted to sessions and they feel they've got to keep training otherwise going to lose whatever adaptation they think they're getting and and that's a, a real key message for people i think to understand that you haven't got to train and understanding that sometimes the best thing to do is not train to allow yourself that recovery so you can come back and and go hard again the next day or the next day after or whatever for for people joe from from your experience who are thinking about wanting to train regularly, what sort of recovery strategies do you advise people to, to think about? Because there's a lot in the research around things that work, things that don't work, and it depends on which papers you read and, and which articles you might look at. Have you got a few sort of real staple things that you would say, if it's coming down to recovery, these are things that you need to get nailed down? Um, yeah. Um, to prevent, to prevent um, fatigue, long-term fatigue, um, we used to uh, uh, to use an app uh, back at Knott's Rugby, which was uh, which measure heart rate um, over your phone with an app every morning. And then, if you see a tendencies over a few weeks or months that the heart rate goes up, it means you'll probably start taking into overloading. Um, that will prevent you. Simple, simple uh, way to see if your if your heart rate goes up. By five, six, seven beats over a period of two months, you start getting overtrained a bit, so slow down. For recovery... Um, so just on that, that's, so that's someone's rest. That's basically we can take our resting heart rate in yeah. the morning when you're not doing yeah. anything else, and then that's going to be a guide as to whether if your resting heart rate is going up, then that might be a sign. Um, yeah, yeah. If, uh, if before you do, uh, when you feel good, if you've got 60 heart rate... Um, um, bit per minute and uh, lying when you wake up and then in the same exact position in three months later if still lying when you wake up uh, you take your heart rate over your phone and you're at 68 yeah chances are it's not going very well for your training you might experience a bit of fatigue and a bit of um, of unwilling to perform uh, for recovery um, I remember in Neural recovery, there's very little you can do, well, apart from sleep. Uh, muscular, uh, Epsom salt is probably the best things over the years that we, uh, we've applied. I had one last night. Eh? I had one last night. Yeah. <laughs> um, Epsom salt is, uh, yeah, you buy it over the internet. It's like uh, 20, uh, 20 pounds for 25 keg. You put 300 grams in a hot bath. And it's like a cup and you stay in for half an hour listening to music, reading stuff once, twice a week. That, that would be a really good strategy. Yeah. That's magnesium. I'll That's say. right, Joe, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, not, not everyone has the bath, unfortunately. So sometimes it says uh, it, it will require you to share. <laughs> 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 um, which i've never done <laughs> not even with jacko sounds like you boys no. but, uh, oh, yeah, mind yeah, getting in a bath the, together yeah you don't you don't get many rugby play rugby place rugby grounds now with team baths i think it's because of the chance of infection thinking that those old school baths we used to get in with open wounds yeah. and we just sit around oh, for a bit good. and there's always oh. somewhere have we <laughs> yeah. like it's yeah. under hygiene is yeah. horrendous <laughs> 
I've got two other questions, Joe, from the listeners. Um, yeah. One one was from a certain Nick Rouse, who asks, yeah. what's the French for deja vu? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a... A silly game. We used to we used to um, annoy Joe by asking him, "What's the French for?" It didn't work. Various different I've got words. So <laughs> it didn't many work. Um, and a serious question uh, was yeah. from Fitsu uh, dot Fitness. I'm trying to think of his first name again. Um, where he's he's just done a, an obstacle course race, so an OCR where, and there's relevance to rugby where in rugby we had to be strong, so we did strength work, but we also had to be fit fit in terms of uh, cardiovascularly. And he says a lot of pe- a lot of people in the these are his words. A lot of people in the fitness space often say that if you're trying to build strength, you shouldn't necessarily do cardio work. And and how does he's found that he's managed to do both. Um, and how do you feel, or what's the, how do you feel about that relationship between training strength and fitness at the same time? And, and what's the, some of the best ways that people could, if they want to do both those two things, we get a lot of people that are doing, you know, they're cycling, they're running, but they also want to do muscle ups and they want to do handstand pushups or they like their body weight strength training. What's the best way? Is it possible? And what's the best way for people to, to do, it's a, it's possible, of course, because the body is designed to do loads of things. Um, what's going to depend from individual is the rate of success because individuals, we are all have our uh, own genetic make, uh, makeup, which means that some people are more prone to react to aerobic uh, exercise. Uh, others will react more to strength, to hypertrophy. Um, it, it, you can increase everything anyway. Uh, after one, it's not because you do loads of cycling that you're going to lose loads of strength. You can still maintain the strength or increase it. Um, to come back to uh, to that listener who said that he does a uh, obstacle. Yeah, that's that's one thing I've learned over the years. Um, we all heard the expression "gym strength," yeah. which for some reason doesn't uh, apply on rugby. In many many cases, and I think that uh, uh, activities like obstacle are really good because you can verify if the strength you gain is actually applying to a dynamic activity. And mm. sometimes uh, people get obsessed by the gym, but gym strength is once again in a, a frame control environment with hardly any speed development, uh, surely no reactivity and no component of surprise. Um, yeah. you, have, you have to do others' activity to keep the nervous system ticking because otherwise, if you do always the same thing, you're going to get the same results, understand? You're not going to progress at all. So I think a, a good variety of exercise, of different activity, really good to stay in shape. Best things? Um, I'll say enjoy whatever you do. If you feel like going to for for a run or a ride, do it. And then a few days after you want to do strength, well, let's do it. You don't have to restrict yourself in one area. Yeah. The well, more the, not stress the out that you're going to lose all of your gains just because you've gone out for a run. And talking about that, Tim's mentioned this phrase before many times, like being strong outside of the gym. And it's one of the things that we like about calisthenics so there is more of that sort of um hundred percent being applicable to real everyday life hundred percent you 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 could see that with um uh, for instance with rugby player uh you had guys who could bench a lot and then you do a bit of wrestling outside and they are completely being out muscle (laughs) and it came from that drove that drove my um more and more in terms of understanding that draws me away from bench press, for instance, which yeah. is the, the holy grail of rugby player. Oh, bench press. <laughs> but it's probably one of the most useless exercises you can do for rugby players. So it, it's weird because, oh, yeah, give us what we want. But we know it's useless. But it, it looks good. It makes you feel good. And uh, no, just if you want to stay in shape, just do loads of activities don't restrict yourself and gym no gym outside calisthenics yeah 
hundred percent. Do it. Try. It, you can see your limitation as well. Yeah. In terms of structure, a training week, Joe. Do you have any sort of advice for people as to how you might, if you if you got a number of different things, did you have any order in terms of whether you're going to do your maximal strength work at the beginning of the week or your high neural system stuff at the beginning of the week and your conditioning later on in the week? Or I, I, I guess there's probably two schools of thought from what you've said in that in a pro, in a pro environment there's a bit more structure required around a game but for Joe Public would you just kind of think just do it when you want and fit it in don't overcomplicate it or would you advise a, a sort of a balance between the two um I'll say balance between the two uh, you need to go uh, you need to go instinctive sometimes get the fun in if you feel like doing one type of session do it but don't rely on it all the time to, to progress so you need to go, uh, sometimes you need to go, oh, I'm going to do a dynamic activity, uh, something that you're not used to it. And then sometimes you'll go back to the gym and you go, oh, today I do strength. After, or power or neural development, all this is complicated, but the order can be actually uh, fairly simple. If you're tired, don't do max strength. If you're tired, you can go in the gym and do just a bit of core work, a bit of uh, exercise you normally don't do. Um, in rugby, it was very easy because it structures, like you said, uh, on a weekly basis. So it, it was controlled. The environment, the timeline uh, was all controlled. Um, if you're trying uh, on your own, just record in your manner, in the way you like. Record what you do with an app. We take uh, um, screenshots of the session you do like that. With your school you of can, diary available in the shop. Yeah, you, you <laughs> can look back and you go, hang on, I haven't done that for a while. Maybe, maybe I've lost what I've what I've acquired, and it keeps it keeps you an update of what you need to do. Yeah, perfect. I think that's a really interesting point around understanding when you when you arrive at the gym or you're going to do a session, wherever that might be, as to what sort of state am I in and then what's the cost of that session yeah. going to be. And if yeah. people, I always use that analogy of like digging a hole. And if you've done a max trend session on a Monday and you want to do it again on Wednesday, but you're not coming in and or you're coming in and just the first set or whatever just doesn't feel good, you're not moving well, you have to really understand or, or think about what what the benefit of doing a, a heavy, hard, high-intensity session is on a, on a tire system, as you said before. But it doesn't mean you can't train that day. Just do something which is at a, a lower relative cost. So conditioning work, for example, can be probably easier to recover from or a faster recovery period than something like a maximal strength type session. So, yeah, um, yeah and as you say, you've always got a really easy option. Like maybe if, if, it's, if the neural system is okay, do some skill work, which is high sort of cognitive demand, but less on a physical side or just core work or mobility work or, or whatever. I think it's having a plan, but not being stuck and rigid around it. That means you can change 100%. it and, and listen to your body. Yeah. Yeah, I, I personally, I've done that mistake because also I, before I didn't know all this and I went straight into overtraining and then I crashed and I had to stop every, any kind of activity for three, four months. But it's, it's uh, actually, diver, now I realize looking back, diversity is, and is key. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's um let's take that on a on a stage then because you've mentioned obviously the rugby background and and this idea of potentially overtraining an area that Jacko tells me that you're really involved in now and doing more work in is around corrective work. What have you learned from years and years in in pro rugby around shoulders particularly is an area where we we get a lot of questions around sort of shoulder health and um, elbow pain that sort of thing. What have you sort of learned around the looking after the upper limb, what the upper limb needs, um, and any advice for people in terms of how they, they should go about managing it? Um, I've got, regarding to what you just said, I've got a few things that stuck in my mind. And uh, some people might go, whoa, who is, uh, who is that bloke for saying this? But I'm going to say it. Rugby doesn't produce shoulder injury. It doesn't. Um, the massive what? second row that smashed my scapula to bits definitely <laughs> was responsible for my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> On trauma, yes, but, but yeah. um, it's it's a combination of of rugby and being uh, the body being put under loads of stress on a weekly basis, not only the game, and then 
what you do in the gym because uh, there was a time there was a time 2010 or around here where all what you could hear is people doing bench press and bench press and more bench press and Jaco used to Jaco used to uh, used to joke about this and try to wind me up with a what about a, a decline flat incline bench press session <laughs> it's three sets of 10 on each and I go I, I was thinking well it was a wind up but <laughs> think about it in some in some clubs or different environment people might do that because they think it's a good idea you you weaken your shoulder so much by doing so it's yeah. it's unreal i i know it because me being um uh, so direct with my athlete in terms of staying away from bench press introducing exercise which we're constantly putting uh, stabilizers at the sh at the shoulder level under tension and they even uh, joke about it uh, one exercise was called lsr and uh, uh, alex loney the hooker at the time took the chalk and rolled down on the wall or lsr corner because all the front row or most of the people in the pack or the athlete they had to do lsr well you joke about it but over nine years i can't remember a single shoulder surgery that we had in the squad. Yeah, no, it's true. There was like literally like so, tra like trauma, like mine was trauma. I got smashed by someone way bigger than me, but you know, yeah, in terms trauma, of actual shoulder different. injury and, and, and surgery, we didn't have shoulder impingement. Like some of the biggest ones that people get, you know, they've getting pain at the front or the side, you know, rotator cuff, they're getting impingement from, from overuse. Like you're saying, whether you've, you know, the example there of, of bench press, but we could, we can overdo, any movement pattern, particularly around any pressing stuff out in front of us, whether that's with even with dips or with well, any movement that we're just going to repetitively overdo, we're just losing that balance to the shoulder. And as you say, yeah. not training the stabilizers under tension for prolonged periods. That's one of the things that, uh, you know, Tim's put done a lot of uh, research into. And when we've done stuff in performance sport around, trying to uh, bomb-proof shoulders as, as the sort of phrase we've used is using bodyweight training and how we can use uh, some some close kinetic chain variations of exercises to train the stabilizers to be more effective to have a healthier shoulder. Yeah, 100%. And you know, like a, a scab back, you've heard it, what, 5 million times <laughs> yeah. in 10 years? <laughs> well, you were, you were all joking about scab back, but... Look at look at the the exceptionally low rate of injury we had on the shoulder. It it, it just it just show you that you don't have to do uh, uh, max strength exercise um, solely to orientate one aspect of strength. The shoulder needs to absorb external force in many ways, shape, or form a different magnitude, different speed. The stabilizers and all of them needs to be ready. Not only the anterior aspect of the shoulder. And I think, I think people, I think in many cases, uh, what people do is actually by training, they detrain. They're they they, they going to prepare their body to get injured because they don't understand what they're doing. They think that they are doing the right thing and then they forget many aspects of how the joint works. And then when they go to applied uh, activities such as sports, dynamic activity, Certainly, it doesn't hold, and yeah. your body will signify it to you by injuring you, and you think it's bad luck. Mm. Yeah, trauma is bad luck, but or, or stabilizers development—that's not bad luck. It's just knowledge and work on this. Yeah, I think yeah. the reality of that for me as well. Looking looking back at my own sort of shoulder issues and, and those that I've seen of athletes in the past is you, you've got to sort of look at the whole career of that athlete. So trauma for me potentially could have been avoided if I had better stabilization control of the joint. Yeah. Um, and in my, in my case, multiple dislocations. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people when they come for us now in calisthenics and the same happens in, in rugby is people get into these kind of things like particularly rugby because they like 
being they like strength based sports. They they've been in the gym. They've, they've kind of like jumped on on top of Men's Health magazine at a young age, and they've started getting in the gym. And I, I, I'm not going to leave you hanging on that one, Joe. I will also bench press is probably the last <laughs> exercise that I would ever put in a program. Um, yeah. Unless you want somebody to get good at bench press, there is I don't think, and shoot me down if you, if you will, but um, there's any reason to put it in over something like a dumbbell press for these exact reasons of having to sort of control the shoulder a little bit more dynamically. But a lot yeah. of people come in and then they'll complain that they're getting shoulder problems. But then if you go back and look at what they've done in the past, they've absolutely rifled anterior shoulder in terms of over-dominance in their training programs. And now yeah. they're paying for it later down the line when they actually want to go and do something different um, with the shoulder. So I think, I don't know what you think about this, Jim, but I always used to try and um, put about double the amount of pulling, particularly into horizontal positions and scap stability, then I would have any push in. So if it was one push exercise, if we had a dumbbell chest press, I would probably be looking for across the program, double the amount of pulling work in there just to try and balance it. Because everyone comes in super anterior dominant anyway. Yeah. So your thoughts on that? And then the second question is people go, right, okay, I've got, what, I've got what the boys are saying. I need to do more back. I need to do more pulling. I'm going to do pull-ups. What do you think about that? Ooh, uh, first first uh, thing, uh, first aspect you said, um, I'm like you, Tim. I use the same strategy. Um, I'll do some session where I'll do one push and two pull. And the two pull being in two different plan, transverse and vertical. Yeah, 100% because rugby being mostly Ontario, don't, don't overuse it. Don't overwork it. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, and then the what is second, that? So it's, yeah, people think about back exercises and they go, right, I'm going to do, I'm going to do black pull down or pull ups or whatever. And, and that relationship around the shoulder. Ah, uh, pull up. Uh, I, um, I actually, um, it gets, it gets very difficult with pull up because, um, it's very, very rare that some, uh, athlete or, uh, people who, does, who do sports, can do a pull-up with shoulder stabilized, which what I mean by stabilized is shoulder being pulled back and down when they're actually hanging from the bar. And if my relationship with pull-up is this, if you can't do a, a pull-up where you stabilize the shoulder, don't do it. And what you see through a whole squad is that over 35, 40 guys, you will have what? five six seven who can do it and it actually if you do pull up and you think that your shoulder are stabilized and they are not you are basically weakening your shoulder because they go into internal rotation onto your plan and i had that same discussion with uh, with someone at Gloucester rugby and for the same reason that they've noticed they've dropped pull up if it's not done properly it's a, it's a really it's really advanced exercise you need to yeah, master so, all the all the previous exercise before where you can stabilize your shoulder rather than to go and pull up straight away. 80% of your body weight is being put on the shoulder and off you go. You assume that you're going to be able to do this. You, you can do a pull up, but if you, are, if you unlock your scap, no, it's not good. You, you're going to create um, uh, deficiencies in your shoulder. Yeah, so for people that have listened to a lot of our stuff before, sort of that initial position that we were talking about going from a dead hang into an active hang is is, is getting the the shoulder blade into that that's that sort of a stable position and what we're yeah. i guess what we're talking about is being able to maintain that engagement rather than we see people go we go from a dead hang and we go into an active hang and then when we start to actually then try to pull by driving the elbow down all of a yeah. sudden the shoulder pops back up and we lose the we lose the control of the scapula on the back of the rib cage um, so people, what a, good, a bit of advice for me on that is if you're unsure whether that's you or not, if you video yourself from behind when you're doing a pull-up, you'll see and just try to do those two movements quite uh, distinctly. So you dead hang, you go into active hang, then initiate your pull. You'll be able to see having a look at your shoulder and your shoulder blades, what happens when you initiate the pull from that active position. Are you strong enough to be able to maintain that or not? That's a good little one to uh, to try out. And if you're not sure... Send us the video and we'll we'll give you some help on that. Tim yeah, loves seeing those videos, pull up videos. <laughs> I, visually, I'll send it to Brian. Send it to Joe. I'll send it to Joe instead. <laughs> no, but like you said, uh, visually it's very easy to um, very easy to yeah. see. But when you're doing it, well, I mentioned that because when you're doing it yourself, 
you might not be aware that you're doing it, but when you see it, it will be much clearer. Yeah, yeah. And to stabilize the shoulder, you, you personally, Jacko, remember all the time where on the lat pull down for a start, where I go, I, I try to, with all of you, stabilize the shoulder back and down, and you'll start initiate the movement. And I say, no. And you go, oh, it was done. No. All right, do it again. <laughs> and you pull. No, do it again. Well, I, hang on. I can't feel it. I don't care. Do it again. And then... <laughs> That was All the Joe Brin School of Coaching. Yeah, no, I remember various different exercises. I'd just be like, nope, nope, nope. No, nope. I'll say no about 1,200 times a day. But yeah. bottom line is you needed to increase your proprioception and uh, stabilizers yeah. uh, recruitment to understand what your body will do because it was in yeah. your interest. You have to have some understanding, like you said, that proprioception. You've got to have some understanding of and some feeling and being able to process that of that sense of information that's coming in. Do I am I aware of where the head of my humerus is? Am I aware of where my scapula is? Or is or yeah. are those two things just doing their own thing and you're just blissfully unaware? Um and that is a really good starting point for people. And as Tim said, if in terms of like maintaining um good shoulders and good shoulder health and not in, in, you know, in your example of like previous shoulder dislocations, if we've got like, do you not dislocate it now because you've have, yes, the strength and stability, but also the better awareness and control of those, of this humor head in, inside the socket. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult to work on, but um, if, if you're starting, if you're beginning, uh, stay away from pull up, keep, exercise more uh, more more achievable for you and your stable your scapula at first yeah definitely yeah. we've got some so like your active hangs um rowing like bodyweight rows but getting in um in a more of a horizontal position with your feet supported is helpful we've got a couple of uh they might already be live now whether but we've definitely got a youtube video either on or coming that is um, some regressions for pull-ups and being able to build up to those. Because one of the big things, Joe, is that people um, can take that advice, but ultimately they might have a they, their goal might be they want they can't yet do a pull-up, but they really want to be able to do one. And and achieving that, what or, yeah. or having that as a goal is very motivating for them. And when they achieve it, the, the sense of success when they do that. So what of we course. want to try and do is to give people the tools to be able to do it. But as you said, oh, it's yeah. important that there's no point in getting really good at doing bad pull-ups because all you're going to do is blow your shoulder up one day. Exactly. But a, um, yeah, develop, develop a, um, a comprehensive, really progressive program. And then yes, that was, that was will, the word progressive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. People, people will, uh, will go through and see results um, without injury because if you're really good at, one sport but you're constantly injured chances are you're not really good <laughs> yeah. whilst we know you're probably really enjoying the podcast there's something else that we think you will also really enjoy and that is the virtual classroom if you're a beginner we have got an eight week free beginners program designed to help you start your calisthenics journey where you're going to learn how to move better get superhuman strong and have a lot of fun along the way if you're ready to take your training to the next level and learn some of the iconic calisthenics movements like a frog to handstand or a muscle up, then inside the virtual classroom you are going to find all the training programs and educational information that you need. But rather than keeping you from the podcast for any longer than necessary, head over to schoolofcalisthenics.com where you're going to find a bodyweight training resource which is different to anything else available anywhere. Tim, I think they're ready to get back to the podcast. Well, my last uh, big question for you, Joe, is um, your reputation that precedes you comes a lot around your um, understanding and ability to train power, um, particularly plyometrics in the lower body. And, and you are, um, I think, a whole legend of, of how your vertical jump was uh, as, as impressive as anybody's you trained, even when Jacko was 100 kilos, which we'll talk about <laughs> off air. Cause it's one, I, I can't picture what 100 kilo Jacko looked like. A bit like that a pie, but I think. <laughs> and I think my I think my vertical jump went from sixty two centimeters when you first came to I think my PB was ninety. And then what was it when you were hundred kilos? It was about three. 
<laughs> but just uh, in terms of training power, Joe, can you just talk a little bit around that? I mean, from our context, a lot of it is around muscle-ups, particularly is the major power movement that we do, but other people will also benefit from understanding a bit more about lower body plyometrics. Um, if people wanted to start getting into some vertical jumping work, um, hop and hold, single leg work, um, what sort of the, what's the, the sort of considerations that we've got around power training to start with? Um, it's... Uh it's um, very enjoyable, very easy, and it's probably one where you progress the most. It's also one who, form of training which can be uh, very frustrating. Um, to work on it, you need to have basis of strength. I'm going to contradict loads of people saying that you need to have your strength right. No, you don't. You can, uh, you can enjoy power and have a fair uh, development of, of it without doing uh, loads of strength. However, the strength will come into place where you want to do a high hand power, more advanced exercise. Then you love to do, to do that. Um, it's, a, it, it's a funny thing because uh, for rugby player, it's, it's obviously um, I, the enemy is gravity. Uh, gravity is 24-7, doesn't take holiday. It's pushing them against the floor. <laughs> so you had to go the other way. This is why we did quite a lot of plyometrics and, and what you refer as power exercise because you have, you have, you've got to fight gravity. That's your enemy. It, it's the same in pull-up. You so have to fight exactly gravity. It's the same in, in muscle-up. It's, that's in, it's, well, I know all the guys that we fight, we are... I've never... I've, <laughs> Is that's a classic uh, Joe Brun phrase, but uh, I've never thought of it that, that 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 gravity is gravity is the enemy of calisthenics for sure. Because <laughs> if there was less gravity, everything would be a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, <laughs> you, you do. You do. If there is no gravity, uh, we we all we don't look the way we are. There. But uh, to develop power, after you need to have a few components. Whatever you do, you need to have explosive, where you alternate as fast as you can a phase of relaxation and a phase of max contraction. You need to have elastic loading where you use, you use yourself, your body to decelerate and then to counter that movement as fast as you can, body weight. And then you can have other forms of, of methods of development for power, which are more advanced and really, really hard to explain really. But uh, uh, one tool you mentioned for lower body was vertical jump. Yeah, it was. That's how you refer to as um, power. It's not the only grail. It's not in rugby. It's not good vertical jump. You make it in rugby or bad. No, it's. But for an athletic development, that's one of the tools you you um you are need to look at. Yeah, and there is strategies to develop this, as Jacko's learned over the years. Yeah, that that experiment at hundred keg, it did not do you good but it was basically because because i was soft we went if you're if you were bigger would you be able to do you reckon you'd bosh people a bit more and it was like oh maybe but it just turned out i was just i was then heavy and still a wuss <laughs> so it's better no. being lighter yeah i coaching is 25 percent success Says seventy-five percent mistakes. <laughs> yeah, and it's that's the same what, for all of us now. As Sometimes, yeah, yeah, same for everyone else out there. Like we encourage people all the time to like try stuff out, test, retest. Did it work or not? And that might be a test, retest of like a mobilization exercise, or it might be a test, retest of. I think the reason I can't do my muscle up is I haven't got enough power, or I haven't got enough strength. And you do a you do a block of work that might be two, three, four months, whatever it is, and and then you get to find out whether it was right or not, and. And if you, if we, it's actually a nice sort of thing to, to draw things towards a close for people is if we are, um, if we are experimenting with ourselves, as long as you have that, that word that you said before, Joe, about educating, you educated us. And if as athletes that helped us to understand what we were doing more and people that are yeah. training on their own, maybe at home, that if they experiment with different things, they're going to find out what works best for them. Yeah. And whatever, just make sure those things, you know, that they make sense, they're, they're, they're educated experiments, they're not just wild guesses, and that they are working towards 
um, a goal or a reason that that motivates you and is going to keep you to use another word you talked about but right back at the beginning to be consistent because if we have those yeah. things we're going to be more successful with our with our fitness and our training and, and wherever that wants to take you whether it's just purely for sort of fun or whether it's for longevity or whether you're really serious about your training that those things are going to be important and beneficial for for everybody in my in my humble opinion yeah but yeah because you've been there you know you know how it works it, it doesn't matter the your objective whether you're a world champion or you just start physical activity we all we all got hills to climb yeah some are, are steeper and longer than others but uh it's it's you have to be progressive and you have to enjoy and you have to be to see that you progress you have to measure it yeah in a way definitely definitely for me having uh people to help educate you and support you like you did for me when i was a uh, a rugby player and then for me i've got tim stood next to me when from from starting an snc career having that um support massively helps and i hope that people um are able to for the sort of what are we 50 sort of minutes that we've had of, of sharing a bit of an insight of what um what the mind of joe brum works like and why uh, he is so highly regarded as a coach has been beneficial for people um joe if people have got any um specific questions that they'd like to uh, ask you or or they want to find you where can where can they find you on either like your website, social media, where's the best place to get in touch with you? Or even your email, depends what you, uh, I'll be, your phone yeah, number if you want answer. some WhatsApps. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be happy to answer or help with any uh, uh, training issue. Yeah, sure. Um, they can contact me because I live in France now on my uh, my French website. Well, it's an, uh, it has a, an English uh, connotation to it. It's uh, joebrunecoaching.com. Jo is J-O-Brun, B-R-U-N, coaching. Dot com. I'll, I'll, I'll answer happily uh, to any type of question or issues regarding training. Yeah. So no for all those people that are really pissed off that Joe says you shouldn't bench press, that's exactly <laughs> where you need to go to target your frustrations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll put a link can. to that in the, show, in the show notes as well. They can. I, I remember at one point uh, I had an argument with uh, Glenn Delaney, who was the head uh, director of rugby at the time, and he goes, uh, because I think we had we had one bad result over the weekend, uh, morning coffee on, on Monday, and he goes, uh, "Mate, we don't look very uh, strong upper body this weekend." I go, <laughs> "Well, one day of rain doesn't make a winter." I was not <laughs> dodging the bullet. I know where it came from, and he goes, are, "Are we are we strong upper body?" And I go, "Well, probably not." I had to be honest. Because upper body, if measured like he wanted, he, I said, look, we run a bench press test. And you remember, Jacko? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think, I, I think it was Tomo, Ben Thompson, who had one of yeah. the strongest bench, which by bench press standard were fairly low. He had like, I think, 135 keg. He's got a big barrel chest, hasn't he? He's <laughs> not a, a low very <laughs> He's a big boy. <laughs> Optimus taken for a prop. He is, the moral of the story where, where I rebound to Glax, he goes, well, that's very, very weak. And I said, well, it's not very weak. It's just we focus on working on something else. So I don't going to waste uh, time and energy on developing an aspect of my athlete, which is not relevant. I said, look, if you want to look at criteria, I said, um, we need to, uh, to see compared to other team, but I think we'll have the strongest squat per players in the, in the entire championship. And he goes, mm-hmm. and he was not too sure. And the week after, I think we, uh, we had a really good results. And he was looking at the video and Tim Molina, and he goes, oh, look at the video. That's power through contact. And then I never heard <laughs> about bench press again. <laughs> have, you, uh, have you ventured onto social media at all or not yet? We're still going to try and ease you into that. Have you got an Instagram? Um, no. No, I still don't have an Instagram. We'll, we'll work on that. So if you want to, so joebrunncoaching.com, um, we'll uh, put a link in the show notes for that if you want to see a little bit more from Joe. And if you have any questions for him specifically, then you could um, you can find him on his website or equally send me a question and I'll WhatsApp him. Yeah. <laughs> 
So uh, thank you, uh, Joe, so much for thank coming you very much. onto the podcast. Um, it was uh, I'd I'd not we'd not seen each other for about six or so years, and I, I paid a trip to the south of France um, on my holiday this year, and it was a pleasure to to uh, see you and then set this podcast up. So um, I was yeah, I was very excited about help getting uh, giving the listeners a, an insight to into up with the you. Mic. <laughs> We will do it. We will do it again soon. I am sure. I, I, I like. Um, I definitely would like to take up the offer of uh, coming up in Nottingham and uh, see you guys what you um, what you've developed in terms of training and progression. Because it's uh, yeah, I've I've been on your website, looked at it, and it's it's brilliant. It's it it seems it seems very um, professional, very. Uh, um, adapted to level and i'm sure i'm sure team's got so much to uh to show me that i could go hang on these are good ideas those are good ideas those are good ideas mm-hmm. Don't i've go got too loads of stuff which you can look at and go that's a terrible idea Tim. what are you thinking <laughs> you can show you could do a ring muscle up as well joe that's right uh yeah you put it yeah, on youtube you could not you could show you, yeah, you could you can show us your ring muscle ups with your strength to weight ratio i'm sure you can do all sorts of stuff yeah okay. no, well, you're welcome no, I'm, anytime I'm, mate anytime you can welcome cool um, I'll be very, uh, I'll be very happy to uh, to learn from you on on many aspects of training. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be really good. Perfect. Nice. So, Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for spending the time, just uh, sharing your your wealth of experience and wisdom with us. And that leaves us with nothing else to say. But until next time, fin du cours. <laughs> So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts. So we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a load of value out of it, guys. And we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars, not as good keep it five are the best five of your best stars please (laughs) and if you would like to find out more about the school of calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got head over to our virtual classroom you can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com and that is where we have got literally possibly the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world it's definitely the best one we've done and on that note until next week class dismissed